What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, presented by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And folks, the Sabres defeated the LA Kings in a commanding 6 to nothing win on Tuesday night, scoring six goals in the third period. But before we get to that, we did want to take a minute and just give some thoughts about the news that was all throughout Buffalo Twitter this week, Jerry Sullivan's sexist comments that were made on a recent podcast live stream. We're going to assume everybody knows what we're talking about, considering he's now lost his job. But given this podcast is hosted by two guys, we thought it was important to at least chat about it a bit. Given the fact that this antiquated line of thinking continues to permeate sports of all varieties and at all levels. To say things like the worst sports fans are women and they don't get critical journalism and that they're all wannabe cheerleaders and all of that other garbage is not only sexist and and gross, it's also just fucking wrong. You look across all sports, there are not only incredible analysts and journalists, but so many of the most passionate, intelligent, and dedicated fans are women. And meanwhile, in some cases, you have plenty of male analysts who and, and writers and fans who ramble about incoherent nonsense and they'll drop every buzzword they can think of. I mean, look no further than Jerry, who has repeatedly chastised guys like Sam Reinhart and acted like he was the smartest guy in the room when repeatedly saying that Sam Darnold is a better passer than Josh Allen. But beyond <laughs> I that... I didn't even know about that one. Good oh, Lord. yeah, baby. There are receipts on Twitter. Beyond that... It also speaks to another very toxic component of sports fandom that I wanted to bring up too, that this idea to be a a quote unquote true fan or whatever, that you must know the tiniest intricacies of the sport or team at hand. And if you don't, you're a fake fan or your fanhood is valued less or whatever, you know, people are allowed to be fans of sports to whatever degree that they want. And you can like a team or a sport just because an athlete is funny or has a cool personality, or you like a team's Jersey colors, or you like a particular city, or if you think an athlete is attractive, like whatever it may be, nobody. And I mean, literally nobody has the right to gatekeep sports or bring other people down who are minding their own business and just trying to enjoy the given game. The beautiful thing about sports and the reason why we romanticize them so much is that they bring people together. They make us feel like one in the name of this common goal. And people always throw around comments about bandwagon fans or people not knowing what they're talking about. And, you know, in a obviously a toxic way. And and to all of that, I say, if you like a sports team, you should want people to be fans of your team as well. And we should take it all upon ourselves to welcome those folks with open arms and not make exclusionary remarks and make people feel belittled. You know, I I know I can speak for Taylor and myself when I also say that I have gained so much knowledge and insight across all sports I follow from women who are reporters, analysts, and fans. And, you know, whether it's somebody like Mina Kimes breaking down pass protection schemes or Megan Chaika discussing analytics in hockey or the countless female reporters and fans right here in Buffalo who provide detailed insight or are just really fun and great follows online, we are all lucky to be shared sharing sharing this space and both taylor and i also are beyond grateful for all the women who listen to this show and follow us and and support us you know that's one of the many reasons why it's important to speak up when people make comments like that and while this was a very public comment from a very public figure uh in buffalo at least that pretty much everybody universally can universally condemned this shit happens far too often when it comes to people who don't have a platform that jerry has 
it's easy to sit there after the fact and everybody pile on. And in this instance, obviously, rightfully so, because he deserves it. But my point is, is that when you're hanging out with your buddies and your boy makes a comment or you're at the game and you hear a stranger or some drunk idiot make a comment, we all have to speak up in those moments and shut that shit down. Nodding along and uncomfortably laughing isn't going to cut it. And it just isn't enough. And nobody's perfect by any means. And of course, like we all fuck up. But this is a thing that as sports fans, we all know happens. And you, ha you just have to be able to think on your feet in those moments and speak up and say something. You know, justice was served in this situation. And let's be clear here that this isn't Jerry being canceled or any of that garbage. This is somebody being held accountable for their very intentional actions that should not and cannot be tolerated. It was great to see so many people universally speak up because ultimately that's why he was held accountable because everybody made their voice known and made it known that this shit is not okay. And I just want to say that, you know, needless to say, considering he has been a repeated public embarrassment to the city of Buffalo and the profession of journalism, I, for one, am glad that we will no longer need to hear from a guy who shits out of his mouth every time he opens it. Taylor, your thoughts? Well said. Uh, I'm reminded, uh, well, of a few things I, th I thought of when this happened, a larger issue with this fella. And one thing I, I was reminded of on Twitter that I'd forgotten about is back about 10 years ago. Now the Sabres or not the Sabres, she's the bills uh, who he definitely covered more than the Sabres signed Mario Williams to that huge contract. And he always w had this kind of, I don't know. Cause people say like he quote unquote plays a character. I don't really agree with that. Like I think he definitely, but he has a mindset that is like, I'm the skeptical guy. Now, I think in a different argument, I think that skepticism by itself is uh, not hard and kind of useless as, like analysis, but digress. Uh, Mario Williams signed, and he was really hard on him this his first rookie year, and his rookie year was kind of a mess, broken wrist, all that stuff. And after his rookie, not rookie year, sorry, his first year here in Buffalo, I should say, his first year in Buffalo after he signed the contract, that next summer, he had... Uh, he was getting divorced and through his divorce settlement, some troubling text messages came out where he said he was take a uh, flight home with the bills. He had taken a bunch of pills, probably not uh, a safe amount and was texting that he was suicidal to his now ex-wife. And Jerry was discussing it when he used to go on WGR and said something to the effect of made fun of his grammar in the text that he sent when he, when he was suicidal. And I, I remember that. And I, I thought of that. I thought of, how hard he was on Darius, how I, that, that's a whole nother thing, I guess, more, more of his, uh, his journalism, but the way all the times he said, like really stupid and offensive things, the Mario Williams things is, is one. Another is that I remember when Marcel Darius was getting in all kinds of shenanigans back in the day, uh, Sully called for cutting him. And then other people were like, you, maybe we should show some grace. His like 21 year old brother died. Darius the second year in the NFL and Sully was like, my mom died. Now, his mom at the time must have been in her 80s. It's an unfortunate part of life that people die around that time. And it's a difficult part of life to lose one of your parents. I haven't done it yet, but it's something everyone has to do, and it is terrible. But it's not the same thing as losing your brother when he's 21 years old. It's You're being robbed of something, I think. And Jerry, that was, I thought that was a very stupid way to handle that. And right around the same time, wrote another column about Pat Kane. This is prior to his rape accusation, about him maturing and kind of uh, – place an important life event that that changed pat kane is his grandpa dying another thing 
that everyone has to deal with. I've dealt with it three times. Uh, again, not the same thing, but like, I mean, come on, man, the double standard is obvious. And I think that was always obvious whether he wanted to admit it or not. And I think with guys like him in journalism who were like in their long, long in their career, by the time Twitter came around in the internet, you could start to actually hear from your readers more. They didn't have to mail a letter to you for you to hear it. They didn't have to get your email like they would have in the nineties. Like when social media became a thing, you started to hear from all the time, which is terrible in one way, but in another way you start to hear from fans who are reasonable, who add to your perspective uh, that's an, another thing in Buffalo sports media we could talk about from this week, but we won't. Um, but also people who call you out in a way and, and make you think about things differently. And I think if a, a lot of people that are Sully's age or different people uh, in the media, especially the print media who were over the age of like 40 or 50 by the time Twitter came around, they were out on that. They're out and never hear from anyone. And I think at the end of the day, Sully was a columnist here for 33 years. I think he's probably no longer going to have any kind of platform around here, I imagine. Uh, most of that time is at the Buffalo News. He's probably the most well-read writer in Western New York in that – not that he reads a lot, in that the most people read him and for most of that time. Not recently, obviously. And at the end of the day, this is this is his legacy, and I don't see that many people that are sad about it. And, and granted, there is already a big – step down from going from the Buffalo news columnist to occasional columns on WIVB and Niagara Gazette. And that's a sad way to go out. It's a good lesson. Mm -hmm. It's not even just about the way he stupidly talked about women on the, the train wreck sports podcast. It's people have their grievances. Some, some people are being unreasonable. We're always unreasonable about it, whatever. They're always unreasonable about negativity, but he, I think his, Done, been a pretty insensitive guy for a lot of his career. And I think if you want to be like, I'm the tough skeptical guy, on one hand, you got to know the line. On the other hand, this is a you you have to know what is worth saying and what isn't. And also I, at some at some point you have to realize what fans want and what fans are. Not that doesn't mean be positive all the time. It means more like fans are gonna be more positive than you are. And you have to at least understand that, even if that doesn't make you more positive. So there, there's a lot of uh, directions I, I thought of taking. But the main point is uh, I don't I really disagree with uh, what he said, obviously, uh, for, for no other reason than like we all have to deal with like the I would call toxic positivity of male sports fans all the time where it's like uh, I have a minor critique about Josh Allen and it's just like uh, someone's mentions a very, a very reasonable critique, I, I should say. And someone's mentions being filled with like borderline death threats mm -hmm. uh, like it's not a Buffalo thing. It's a sports fan thing and it's all over the world, but like shit, the worst part of it is like the aggressiveness and violence and it doesn't come from uh, the women. And then the wannabe cheerleaders oh, thing. That's is just a like, great, hey, great point, Taylor. Also, great. and I'll leave, I'll leave this is the last thing we say about him uh, being a cheerleader, especially like the, the kind of cheerleaders, like high school, college cheerleaders, competition style cheerleaders, a lot harder than being a sports columnist, especially <laughs> one who Amen to really, that. there's no, uh, there's no mailing in a, a, a day at cheerleading. I'll say it th that way. But anyway, yeah, I think in some ways with his second, his follow-up tweet that he had yesterday about how these oh. sports stories aren't going to be told. I think I have two main thoughts on that. First of all, I think that is a reason why he feels more comfortable saying things that are offensive and then doesn't take any of the criticism seriously, or at least mm -hmm. didn't until mm -hmm. recently is because mm -hmm. he thinks of himself as a progressive and he might still be like in a lot of ways. And that's, uh, I mean, it doesn't really matter what your pl political affiliations are. You have to be uh, respectful to people and even respect people that you're covering uh, as a journalist. Second, 
the world is a, a very accessible place these days. And uh, if you really, I mean, writing, writing wise, that is, if you really want to write something and wanted to get it out there and you already have a platform and that he's on Twitter and he has however many people at least, I don't know if care about what he's doing, but will become aware of what he's doing. You can just start a sub stack or something like that. And you could even charge for it. And you can even try to make some money on the side and still cover uh, women's sports around here and do those features he was talking about. Now we could do a whole 10 part podcast series on this fella. Um, but I think we made our point, right? We did. And so, I think we could speak for us both in saying goodbye and good riddance. Now let's talk about another old fella, Craig Anderson. Craig. Had a 40 save shutout uh, in was a Tuesday night's game against the Kings, six nothing win. Yep. Forty save shutout. He is the second oldest goalie to ever do that, and I believe the oldest to do it in the modern era, uh, which I'm not surprised by. It occurred to me that he actually is older than Dominic Kashuk was when he retired. So, what a weird game! It's been a couple days already by the time people are listening to this, and they, the Avalanche game might even have already happened by by then. But let's uh, let's be positive for a minute and talk mm-hmm. about that game because I I have two main takeaways. Uh, one is that Anderson should play more because he's been awesome. And that game is a great example. It wasn't just 40 shots spread evenly. The first 25 or 30 minutes of that game, the Sabres were getting annihilated and it could have got ugly. It could have been three, four, nothing the way things are going. Uh, they were outshot 16 to three in the first day. At one point, I believe it was 25 to five. And at some point in the second period, the Sabres uh, started to realize that the Kings were looking like a team that was on the the end of a long road trip. I believe it was more than a week. They played like four games in seven nights or something like that across the East coast, playing the opposite side of the country. Not easy. We know that as Sabres fans. And they definitely started to look uh, tired enough that the Sabres could take advantage. And unlike previous iterations of the Sabres, this team can go off if you give them even an inch. And then as I guess the other thing is goaltending on the other side, that guy, was uh, not very good. The Sabres, I guess, realized just start putting the puck at the net. Good strategy. Yeah. And in the game, Tage continued his torrid scoring pace with two goals and an assist. But I don't want to actually talk about him right now. I want to take some time and talk about our two rookie forwards and Jack Quinn and JJ Paterka and just the continued blossoming chemistry that these guys are showing playing on a line with Dylan cousins. We've all seen the highlights from the goal. I'm sure if you haven't go and find it, but it's just an incredible, like after I I believe it was cousins had won a battle in the neutral zone. He gets it up to Paterka. They get in over across the blue line. Paterka goes across ice to goes cross ice to Quinn. Quinn throws it right back to Paterka. Paterka puts it away and this one play is exemplary of, again, just the continued growth that we have seen from these two guys throughout the year. You know, Paterka, I think, has looked great from the start and has played at a high level pretty much on a nightly basis here from even going back to the first game of the season. Quinn, it's been amazing seeing how he has been able to adapt with each passing game and you just... You know, it felt like a few weeks ago, really, and maybe even a little bit more than that now at this point, considering we're already into December. So, uh, you know, uh, a month plus ago, just where you started to see the wheels turn a little bit and the lights go on and his processing speed in the offensive zone around the net scoring and being creative, but his processing, not only with the puck on his stick, 
but especially how he plays off of the puck as well and how he knows how to find not only open space, but positionally to know where the play is going to go to get to those spaces and eventually capitalize on that has been incredible to see for a guy as young as he is. So I I just want to get your thoughts a little bit, Taylor, on the line as a whole, but specifically these two guys and how really having them is setting up the Sabres for quite a long time to have some, some real solid offensive consistency outside of the top line. Yeah, definitely. They, that is, it's been huge. Cause I, uh, a game I was thinking of to, to back up a little bit is uh, I believe it was the, the last time uh, there was a 40 save shutout. Or, I, for, I forgot exactly. Oh, Craig Anderson's last shutout is what it was. It was 2019. It was against guess who? LA. It was against the Sabres. Oh. <laughs> in 2019, it was for Ottawa. It was in March. And I don't know the game exactly, but I, I felt like I knew it in my head exactly. And I think the two things we just talked about are related, which is the line you're talking about and the fact that the Sabres are so dangerous now when they turn things on. And it's because they have such a dangerous second line. Uh, I was thinking of that era. By that era, I mean, I could be talking about 10 years, but especially of recent years, when Eichel was still really good, there was games where Eichel kind of looked off. And if Eichel looked off offensively, forget it. If it, it halfway through the game, the Sabres don't have a goal, they're down two nothing. It's like they're losing three, one at best. And there was a million games like that, or at worst, they get shut up by Craig Anderson. There were like a million games like that. And it just, it felt like a killer. I, I, and Tage was obviously scored two goals in this game. So you can't say he was off, but if the Tage Skinner tuck line, when Skinner comes back is off, this line can be right there. I mean, they can pick things up because Cousins now is uh, he's always been a decent all around player basically since he came up. But now he's actually scoring, which is great. Mm-hmm. He's finishing. And Paterka, who we thought of as kind of more of an all around player, Paterka might score 20 goals in his rookie year. That's th- that'd be awesome. And Quinn has just been insanely deadly. And he's been good all over the ice. That's not really what I was expecting from Jack Quinn this year. If you would have told me before the year you're going to get 20-something goals and a decent amount on the power play and don't worry about the other end of the ice, I'd be like, yeah, well, good start to his career. But, man, he was like a 200-foot player. Mm. And that whole line is, frankly. All three of those guys are. They're just – yeah, they've been killer. It, it it really opens things up. It, it changes my view of where the window is. Because, I, I mean, a lot of people are talking about trades. That'll probably have to be something for another episode. We've talked a little bit about it, but could they still make the playoffs this year? I would like to see how they look this weekend before I make that call. Yeah. We'll see how this West Coast swing goes, and then we'll see what they should do for the rest of the year. But it makes me think they should be a no-doubt playoff team next year if they get average goaltending and are reasonably healthy, which right. is great to, great, to, great to imagine. And part of the reason is because I feel like all three of those guys have taken a bigger leap or are playing better than I would have expected and frankly, so is Tage. So is Tage Tuck and Skinner. So yeah. it's an entire top six of guys that are playing awesome. Well, and I think, too, that as you had mentioned there, and I forgot to mention this before when you had brought up Anderson and seeing him play more, again, that just speaks to the fact that they are going to have to seriously address goaltending. You yeah. know, I, I know we're looking at this acquisition in the offseason coming up as a stopgap to Levi, but I don't think also though that in turn that means that you have to go and get somebody who is like in their mid thirties or in the twilight of their career or something. Like you can get a guy who is maybe in their late twenties. Like you don't have to go out and go try and pry a top end goalie prospect from uh you know like Wallstead from from Minnesota or 
uh, Koska from, from Detroit, like, you know, I mean, those guys aren't even really in the NHL quite yet, but like, you get the point here that it, it yeah. doesn't have to be this like grizzly mid thirties goalie, like a Jonathan quick or something like that. Like you can go out and get a guy, like we said last episode, like a Thatcher Demko, potentially, if he becomes available um, or even guys who are in their earlier thirties who it's like, all right, well, maybe we're going to have this guy on the roster for more than two years. Maybe it's like a three, four year thing where there's a eventual transition to Levi as the permanent starter. But as far as Anderson goes, again, I apologize for backtracking. I think that again, you, you had these guys taking this jump this year to the point you just made more than we expected, obviously, but also you have to have some inclination that after last year, that there were going to be more guys who were going to take a step and you knew coming into this year that Anderson was obviously there's the injury concerns, but given his age, there's also going to be restrictions on how much he can play. And it's great, obviously that he has looked in the past two years, like the most competent goalie that the Sabres have iced at any point in the past two years. But you knew that there were going to be these limitations with how much that he can play. And I think the beauty of having a guy like Anderson being able to still contribute at his age and beyond obviously the locker room stuff is that I know we'll see with Comrie and everything, but again, like this year could have been great if you would have really gone out and got a legit one, a not that that's something that's easy. I know it's not like that's the easiest thing, but you have assets gone out and get and got a legitimate one, a so that, you aren't relying on trying to squeeze as many starts as you can out of Anderson, because if we're talking about giving him more starts, that also increases the likelihood of him getting injured. Absolutely. But I would say that at this point, they really have no choice, but to try that. Oh, I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying that they're kind of in a mess of their own creation. Absolutely. And it's really unfortunate that Matt Murray said no in this off season, because that would have been a, a great trade. Would, would have been a real coup for Adams, especially if imagine? Murray was playing the way here he is there, or even if he was playing almost as good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think at this point, the knock against playing an older guy more, uh, a lot of people would say is he'll play poorly in some of those starts, especially like, oh, he's playing for the second time in three nights, he might be not sharp. But like, you're just going to put in UPL. He's already not sharp. I know when Comrie comes back, Comrie's going to have to play a decent amount because you made that investment. And you got to know how good he is. But I think at this point, you should be playing UPL as little as possible and, and try to get Anderson a decent amount of starts. Like, he's been pretty good, actually. And the Sabres have, have a decent record in his games because of that. Uh, it's To me, it's worth a shot, more than worth a shot. I think you have to do it. Completely agree. It's their only option at this point if you're serious about winning games. And I think that for what it's worth, too, you know, people can call it how do I want to say this? Like you can call it, Oh, just, you know, wanting to get more out of UPL or like to, to see what you have there considering we're at this pivotal moment. I don't think that it's too much of an exaggeration to say, we know what we have there and he's just not that guy. Yeah. At least he's not that guy right now. Absolutely. I, yeah. I, exactly. Like you have to base it on how the guy is playing. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, Last year, we wanted to see him up more. We wanted to see him get more games. I know that there is obviously some injury stuff that had happened there, but it felt like, you know, we wanted to see more of UPL. We felt like at the start of this year, we wanted to see more of him. And we, through Comrie's injury, have gotten to see more of that. And 
the results have not been flattering. Like it's been bad. And like we talked about a couple of episodes ago, it feels like just about every game, even in games they win that he lets in goals where it's just like, dude, like you, you need to have that. Like, this isn't like a Miller situation where he's making, you know, 35 of, of 38 saves and he lets in, you know, two of them are, are stinkers or whatever. He, he just positionally a lot of times seems lost. He's really not that in control when it comes to his like lateral side to side movement across the crease and going from post to post. It, it's just, there's so much inconsistently inconsistency there, which to a degree is to be expected with a young goalie like that. But also this is a team that's been scoring and they're scoring at the highest clip that they've been in over 10 years. And they're among one of the league leaders when it comes to goals scored and they're just not getting support on the back end. And UPL has gotten that chance this year. And we'll see. It's a long season. Like, it, maybe he turns on the Jets when it gets to being, like, February. And it's like, holy hell, where did this guy come from? We don't know. So, obviously, you know, whatever. But at this stage of the game, the way that things are looking right now, I, along with you, in agreement with you, have just about no confidence in him moving forward to win games for us. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, should we uh, hear a word from our sponsors? Let's. All right. Hockey fans, light the lamp this winter with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. New customers can bet just $5 on a pregame money line on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. If that wasn't enough excitement, you can turn small bets into bigger paydays with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot and even bigger payout. So what do you have to do? You download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details and responsible gambling resources. Additionally, our second sponsor is Thin Man Brewery. You might know them for their two convenient locations on Elmwood Avenue and Chandler Street in the city of Buffalo. Uh, What do they have coming up this week, Brendan? They have the Dream State Tap Takeover on Friday night. That's uh, in conjunction with Dream State Brewing uh, from Florida, which is obviously... uh, Notable this weekend because the Bills and Dolphins are playing here on Saturday Night Football. It's uh, one of the country's hottest breweries located in Miami, and they're good friends with the the Thin Man kind of kind of partners, you would say. So there's going to be a bunch of lines of their beer you can't usually get unless you get on a plane and fly to Florida. And there's also some stuff that uh, Thin Man and Dream State are doing together. So if you're a fan of craft beer and want to try stuff from all over the place. This is uh, one of those places you probably want to try. Dream State is a huge brewery and, and, and rapidly growing. And it, you're not uh, going to be able to get uh, Dream State very easily unless you go to Thin Man Brewery. So that starts Friday. Might be the day you're listening to this. So, you know, pregame the uh, the Bills and Dolphins. Get ready with some, uh, some, some Miami beers. Drink some Miami beers. And then we can Saturday night, we'll drink some Miami tears. Thin Man Brewery. I like that. Did you write that or did Yvonne? I just thought of it right now. That's amazing. Look, see, yeah. folks, thinking on our feet. That's, That's right. What you need to do. 
Yeah, so that's it for the ads. Uh, All right. We love Thin Man, folks. Oh, also, because I've mentioned it like a handful of times, too, with the Bills game getting moved to Saturday night, my show at Thin Man, unfortunately, was canceled. So major bummer there, but I was actually talking with a couple of the uh, the fellas over at Thin Man yesterday, and it's appearing as though, because they're going to be doing some remodeling, I believe, um, that the as soon as they are opening back up, that we will be, I believe, playing the first show at Thin Man Elmwood uh, at that time. So I'll keep everybody posted for that. But if you are looking to get a live music fix, though, just as a quick other plug uh, to celebrate the holidays, 1223 Christmas Eve Eve, I'm playing at Mohawk Place with my original band, Canadis, the intro song balancing act that we have as the intro and outro song. Um that is one of our, our tunes. So if you'd like to come and hang out, we'd very much appreciate it. And if you're trying to hear some fun covers and have a good time on New Year's Eve, we're going to be uh, my cover band Slow Animals is playing at Mr. Good Bar, having a little little party there. So it'll be a really good time and would hope to see you at either one of them. Anyways, though, back to hockey. All right. So also on uh, Tuesday night, right after the uh, NHL, or right after the Buffalo Sabres win, you had Alex Ovechkin score his 800th goal. That's pretty good. I got to say, I don't, I don't really think uh, that was going to happen. It is be honest. remarkable. It, it really is. I think that people bring it up, but I think the point of this entire conversation that needs to just continuously be harped on is that he's doing this in today's era of NHL and not only like today's era, but the past 10, 15 years, like I know when he came into the league, you know, post lockout scoring, obviously as it is at a premium guys are getting back up into like 120 points or so, you know, at the top of the leaderboard there, but then you get into that, the, the early aughts and Holy hell scoring was not, not very high on top of that. You throw into the mix, the pandemic and then two uh, lockout shortened seasons. And he is legitimately within striking distance of Gretzky. And again, as we're talking about Gretzky, not only are we talking about it, should we be talking about things in the context of what Ovechkin is scoring in now, but what Gretzky was playing against in the eighties. Yeah. Those goalies were bad. The defense very, was very, bad. very bad. Every, defense, I mean, it was, the defense was definitely was Easier way to score. But I think this is important for us to say when we're saying this, that uh, no one else in the 80s still touched him. Still had the 80s in points by guess how much? Oh, I know it's an ungodly amount. I mean, what what Gretzky did relative to everybody else is is ridiculous. How much is it? 900. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. Well, this is kind of what I was going to get at. I think it's what's so great about Ovechkin. So obviously you have the era differences, particularly because he played in uh, a lot of his era was kind of a uh, almost dead puck era. Look at some of those years. He would be in the low 50s. The next highest score would be in the low 40s. It was, if especially if he wasn't around, I think you would have started to hear some arguments again about, are we in another dead puck era? And then eventually you did. And things have turned around in the past five years, I would say, which has given him a nice boost at the end of his career. I think if you didn't have this turnaround, he'd have no shot at 894 if, if scoring had increased. However, it's not just that. Gretzky scored. I'm glad you mentioned the 80s because that's the first decade of his career. He scored about 700 goals by the time he was 30. Gretzky did. He scored his 800th goal. Well, he, he broke the Gordie Howe record, I should say. 
He scored his 800 and second goal when he was 33. He didn't get to 900. You know why? Guys after the age of like 33, they don't score a lot of goals. It's it's pretty uncommon. You see that pretty much everywhere. I, even if guys like Gretzky is a good example, his second last year in the league, he led the league in assists. His last year, he was second in assists, but he only scored nine goals. Goal scoring is extremely hard uh, at a certain point, regardless of the era, honestly. Like Mike Bossy is a tough one to judge because he got hurt and then was just basically done when he was 30. Mario Lemieux was hurt constantly, basically from the time he came into the league. Uh, I wrote a thing a couple of years ago, about four years ago, Ovi scored a 600th goal. Uh, it was it was four and a half years ago, actually. It was during the uh, 18 season, 2018. And I'm, I was looking, I'm looking at it now. Uh, this is what I wrote. Gretzky... Uh, for all his late career playmaking dominance, was never much of a scorer. He never scored more than 25 goals after he broke the record. Never scored more than 25 in a season for his wow. last five seasons. Yager scored 54 in his age 33 season, but never went over 30 goals again. He also left for a little while, but still. Brett Hall, around the same age, around 33, that's when he stopped putting up monster goal numbers. A guy that at one point scored 86 goals. Uh, Marcel Dion went from 46 goals at age 33 to 36 to 28 and then had retired by the time he was 37. Mike Gartner had 45 goals when he turned 33, never at 35 again. Phil Esposito had 61 at age 32, never got above 42 again. These are some of the best scorers of all time. I mentioned most of them. How is an anomaly for mm-hmm. a lot of reasons, but that's almost the comparison point because it's not just that he has maintained his scoring for this long. And by the way, with everything I just said, those totals, Keep in mind, Ovechkin uh, is on pace for just under 60 goals this year at the moment. It's 21 goals so far in the middle of December. Absurd. I mean, he's not going to lead the league, but like, good Lord, that's insane. Uh, But anyway, what I was going to say is he's been insanely healthy at the same time, which is rare in NHL history. It's a little bit easier now. It's a little bit less rare. But look at his contemporary in Sidney Crosby. Crosby's been a better overall player. He's been a better overall point producer because of how many assists he gets. And he's been a great scorer. But He's like 260 goals behind Ovechkin, right? And that's only partly because he missed about 200 games. Ovechkin's missed almost none. He's never had a real serious injury. I I believe he missed 10 games in the year prior, the year that COVID shut down the league. And I was like, that's it. He doesn't really have injuries anymore. He doesn't even have like uh, intermediate length injuries. It's, it's pretty absurd. Uh, And the whole thing I I wrote about when I, when I wrote about all those, uh, you know, those players I was just talking about was, does Ovechkin have a chance at 894? Now, I didn't know COVID was going to happen. And that kind of threw a wrench in things a little bit. It probably took away about 35 games from him, give or take 35 to 38 games. Uh, But I kind of did say in there that he could do it. And even not knowing that, I mean, but I said it was going to be a huge uphill climb because the only person I mentioned besides how is Yager scoring 200 goals after the age of 33? You know why Yager did that? Because he was around until he was almost 48 years old. Ovechkin didn't have to do that. He didn't have to. Yager kind of paused at the age of like 37 and stayed that level, which is insane. I don't think anyone else has ever done yeah. that. And Ovechkin didn't do that, really. Is Ovechkin's 37 now. He has scored 48 goals two years ago. He scored in the 40s last year. He's on pace, like I said, for almost 60 this year. It's ridiculous. It's not something that's ever happened. I think you could have made the case that Ovechkin was the best era-adjusted scorer ever, like six years ago, five or six years ago. 
but now he's actually going to break the goal record. And let's remember this, pal. There was a, there's always talk of who the first overall pick is going to be, regardless of season. Right now, people are talking about Connor Bedard, especially the bad teams. Couldn't be us, not us. We're not the bad teams. But it was 03-04. It was the lowest scoring season in the modern era. Three guys tied with 41 goals to lead the league. 94 points led the league. There's just over five goals scored per game. It was a crisis. People are talking about Ovechkin. Imagine telling someone then he could break the goal record. He'll score 800 by the time he's his age 37 season. That is absurd. I, again, like just wrapping our head around the fact that he actually, there's a real chance of him doing it. And the thing that I also want to bring up that I think is interesting about it in relation to this season and him being on this scoring pace right now is when we're looking at how he's going to eventually be able to do it. I feel like we're always like, okay, well, if he gets 30 a year for the next four years or whatever, it comes out to then, you know, he'll break it or whatever. So if he keeps scoring at this, the rate that he's currently scoring at, we, I'll actually try and do a little bit of math here off the top of my head. Let's say right now you said he's at 21 goals, right? Yes. All right. And and how many games played? Ooh, I don't know. Uh, 30-ish, I want to say. All right. So let's say for argument's sake, he scores 25 more goals this year. Okay. So reasonable. Yeah. So that puts him at 825. Assuming, let's say next year, he continues to score at a high clip. He's getting a lot of power play time. Let's call it 40 goals next season, which I don't think is completely out of the realm of possibility for him. Right. So that puts us at 865. That would mean that two seasons from now, he would only need to score 30 goals to break the record. And he's under contract for that, that right. season as well. Right. So. I mean, I think it's it's borderline likely at this point, and it, especially because he'll just stick around until he gets it. But also because I think sometimes with goals, he seems inevitable. He does have some, you know, he's lulls from time to time, just like everyone does. But it feels like, especially later in his career, he's had a lot of time where it's like, eh, he's not scoring. And then like, boom, insane week. He had 10 goals in seven games. And the two main examples I'm thinking of are uh, of his him really rising to the moment. In the 2015-16 season, he was going to win the Rocket Richard regardless. He had 47 goals, but he had the streak of a few years of 50 goals. And he, I, you know, he theoretically, if he's not there, he's pretty close to the record for most 50-goal seasons. So it, you hate to see a guy finish so close to 50 and not get it. And he scored a hat-trick the last game of the season. It was literally the last night of the regular season. Hat-trick to go from 47 to 50. And I think last night, or sorry, Tuesday night was a great example of – He's at 797. He's been hot of late, but you know, it's not like he has a hat trick recently. You know, it's he's not he's not 07 Ovechkin, even though he's playing really well, like we said. And he just stayed super hot. He had two goals in the first period against this crap Blackhawks team. And then he he is his last goal. And I feel like every hockey fan in the world, when they see, saw him get the second one, it's like, oh, he's getting that third one. And he did. It felt inevitable, and it was a goal. I don't know if you see him score as often. It was like these days, at least, a real dirty uh, rebound type goal, like, you know, getting in there, mucking it up kind of goal. And meanwhile, I believe on the same play, Pat Kane trying to back check, uh, <sighs> smash into the boards. Do you see that? I, I must it's going to be part of that highlight forever. I love that so much. <laughs> it's, it's wild. It's like, you know what? If you're doing something that you don't usually do, be careful. Take it slow. Oh, my um, God. So anyway... Oh my 
<laughs> hey, can I also just say too quickly uh, to yeah. point out the one stat you had mentioned? So Ovechkin is currently tied with Mike Bossy and Wayne Gretzky for the most 50 goal seasons ever with nine. So hmm. <laughs> a little bit of context here, though, for what it's worth. Gretzky is at nine in 20 seasons. Ovechkin is at nine in 18, 18 seasons. Guess how many seasons it took uh, Mike Bossy. It was for Mike Bossy. Ten. Nine and ten seasons, yeah. <laughs> what an absurd, absurd stat. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was his first nine seasons, too. And his tenth one is when he got hurt. Mm-hmm. I believe so, you're right. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's really, if you're going to look look at Ovechkin's career, it's going to be kind of funny because he had like 50-something as a rookie. He was a 20-year-old rookie, I guess. But he had a couple of 50s. He had a 65, which is kind of an outlier for him. He had a 56, which is great. But then, like, most of his seasons are, like, right around 50. Like, that was his goal. Like, I'm going to get 50. He has a couple in the 40s, obviously. Unfortunately, he has 149. If he would have got another goal that season, he'd already have this 50-goal season record. Whereas Gretzky's is, like, he has, like, a 92, an 87, like, a 77, a 60-something. And then when he stopped scoring, it was just like, well, I'm an assist guy now. And all of a sudden, it's like, uh, 25, 24, 9. Kind of a weird breakdown. I don't think Ovechkin will ever have a full season where he scores nine goals. On the other hand, he'll never have 163 assists. So what are you going to do? Mm. Um, yeah, so uh, I saw a, a chart also, last thing I'll say about Ovechkin, that I believe our friend Jay Fresh posted about error-adjusted scoring, if you do like per 82 game scoring, so adjust for injuries too, for mostly for Crosby and Lemieux. But it was a, a chart of Gretzky, Lemieux, Crosby, Ovechkin, and McDavid. And it, when you adjust for error, it's wild how close all those guys are. Gretzky's still the highest, even when you adjust. McDavid's right in the middle. Ovechkin's the lowest just because he's not really a big assist guy. Never really has been, but right. even more so later in his career. And yeah, and Crosby's right there with all those guys. And even Yager, like, it's it's pretty crazy. There's a, Seemingly, there's always at least one guy around in their prime who is, like, that level of scorer compared to the rest of the league. Although Gretzky's still kind of decently ahead of those guys. Anyway, that actually brings us to our next point, our next uh, topic. So, Brendan, have you heard the NBA is uh, changing the names of a bunch of awards or creating awards, basically, some of them? I have, yes, I have heard that. They're named after uh, different legendary players. Now, if you're not an NBA fan, you may not have heard of this. You know, obviously, this is a hockey podcast, but there's a reason we're bringing this up. Um, The MVP is going to be named after Michael Jordan. The Defensive Player of the Year is going to be after Hakeem Olajuwon. Rookie of the Year is Will Chamberlain. Sixth Man of the Year, John Havlicek. Uh, the George Mikan Trophy for Most Improved Player. I don't actually know the lore behind that. Did George Mikan really improve at some point? Tough to say. Okay. He was a good basketball player. My grandparents were teenagers. But interesting. Uh, Havlicek, Wiltz, Hakeem, Michael Jordan. Legendary guys. Everyone knows them. George Mikan's the only one on there that most people probably don't know at this stage, but I know who he is. Here's the thing. Every NHL award basically is named after someone who's older than George Mikan. Almost all of them are named after people you can't name as an average hockey fan. And even if you can, they're barely worth knowing about. Sorry, no hate, but (laughs) it's just a weird thing. Um, uh, the one that's obvious, and I'll, I'll start up here. What we're doing here is we're changing the names of awards for the NHL. If you didn't pick up on that, that's what we're doing. I want to keep one the same. I haven't talked about Brennan about wow. this, but I would like to keep the Rocket Richard the same 
for a reason I'll get into, but one of the main reasons is it's, it only dates back to 1998. I feel like that's not enough time. But I'll get I'll get to my plan on that. That's gonna be what I'm gonna do last. Did you also come up with uh, some names that you would like to see for the awards? Or yeah, yeah, I was going through. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. So before we get that, we'll we'll talk about what they're actually named after now. The Vesna Trophy for best goalie is named after George Vesna, who was a a great goalie way like literally like a hundred years ago. Um, he died very young, which I'm guessing is why it's named after him. Is like a memorial type thing. Um, Con Smythe was an owner. Uh, James Norris was a GM. I believe those they were both with Toronto. A lot of these guys are with Toronto. A lot of bias here, in my opinion. Frank Selke, uh, I believe, was the president of the Maple Leafs. Uh, again, forever ago. These are all from like the 1920s, these guys. And uh, like some of them lived a long time, but they still all died like 40 years ago, at least. Uh, Frank Calder, who was a, a, a D man back in the day, again, 100 plus years ago. And here's a weird one. The Hart Trophy <laughs> was donated uh, by the father of Cecil Hart, who I believe was the coach of the Canadians way back in the day. But it was donated by his dad, Dave. So it's donated by the dad of a guy who died before World War II started, at least from an American perspective. Oh, my God. So, like, yeah, the, the year Dunkirk happened, this guy died, and the, the award is named after his dad because he gave it to the NHL as a gift. Might want to change that one. I mean, like, I don't get to why in a second. The last one is uh, the Art Ross. That that one, at least you know the guy's first name is. So, a couple things with that. Am I saying, boo, these are old guys, no one knows them, get them out of here? No. Some people are saying, which I'm also not saying, this is history. You can't change history. And you're like, you're right. These awards will always have been named these things during this time. For example, the Con Smythe forever. I, I believe they started giving that out. In the 60s, I want to say, but it could be earlier than that. It will always have that 60-year or more run as being Conn Smythe. So history will say, uh, like, for example, last year, Kel McCarr won the Conn Smythe. It won't say he won the award that I'm about to change it to. That's what he won. And I, I think people are like, what about your racing? You know, how are people going to hear about Frank Selke or, or Art Ross or Cecil and Dave Hart or all these guys? But the thing is... On one hand, like I just said, the awards were named after them for a long time. So they're a part of history secondarily because of those things. They lived on for a while, and people always want to be like, oh, I want to look back at uh, Wayne Gretzky's career. He won the heart this many times. It was called the heart. Even if I change the name of it, you know that's what it used to be called if you care about history at all. If you don't care about history, then it doesn't matter. Then none of this matters. Mm-hmm. Taylor, <laughs> you know thing what, I, would say, I, I want to say I don't think that you care about history, bro. Trying to change award names. What's next? You're going to try and take down some Columbus statues or something? I'm going to take down the statue of French Connection and put up Briere, Pominville, and Derek Roy. Wow. <laughs> no, but I. the other thing I was going to say is if you just always keep it these guys from the 1920s when it was like kind of barely a league, it wasn't, it was, this is before you had the quote unquote original six, shows them being the unoriginal six. You have like the Montreal Wanderers and Maroons and whoever and the New York Americans and all these other teams, whatever. The point is, you're not giving just due to other parts of history, like the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and so on. And I think mm-hmm. I think that's a mistake because there's guys now who we talk about like it's not that long ago who are in their 60s. They won't be around forever. Kids that are born like today 
become sports fans in the next 10 years, they'll be teenagers when like some of these guys from the 80s die. Some of them already are. You never know how long someone's going to live. Uh, someone who's 10 years old now doesn't even know who Dale Howardchuck was. And it's not like Howardchuck's going to go show up at an NHL award show and and at least introduce himself like to a new generation or something like that. The poor guy died in his early 60s. That happens. Guys live their 70s, 80s. Obviously, some guys live longer. But like those guys then disappear. It happens quicker than you would think. Like I mentioned with these guys dying 40 years ago, some of them that live forever. Like shit, we just talked about Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky's rookie year was 43 years ago. It's closer in time to the 1930s than it is to now. Like, anyway. So my point is, there's a whole bunch of history we were already missing, and these awards will be named these things for a long time. Uh, so should I start with the Richard then for, for mine? I mean... Yeah, go for it. All right. Also, I should say ahead of time, I didn't rename the Master Sin or Lady Bing, because uh, I don't care. Uh, good. Keep on those things for all I care. <laughs> uh, so the Richard, I wanted to stay. Uh, the Richard... Richard is not like these other guys. We know who Maurice Richard is. We, I mean, he was alive when we were alive. He died in 2000, so he died when we were little kids. But it's not that long ago in history. He was a player in the 50s and 60s. He was a player when there was TV. He was around when expansion happened, or at the very beginning of it, I should say, and that's the very end of his career. But he played with, you know, guys that we know about. It's, it's the modern early dynasty of the Montreal Canadiens. A lot of that is the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Huge part of that. At the time, one of the, probably the best goal scorer to the point at the end of his career. Anyway, the point is, the award only dates back to 1998. Anyone who led the league, like, for example, Wayne Gretzky has zero rocket Richards. Anyone who led the league in scoring before 1998 was just the guy who had the most goals. He doesn't have a trophy for that. So that's why I would uh, like to keep it that for now. But what I would like to do 50th anniversary, 2048, rename it the Ovechkin Award. I agree. I agree. I think uh, actually on all fronts, I agree because I think it should eventually be renamed to be an honor of Ovechkin. But also, since it is for the most goals, I, I know this isn't necessarily like a very um, thought provoking argument in favor of keeping it right now. But like Rocket Richard is a badass name for a trophy. So, yeah. or for an award, whatever. Yeah, this also gives us time to revisit not changing it. (laughs) Yeah, right. All right, what do we got next then? Uh, I also would want to say on that that Richard was alive when they did that. So doing it in uh, 2048 is a pretty good chance Ovechkin will be alive. Like I said, you never know. But, like, it'd be nice to have him come over NHL award, give it out the first time. Uh, Anyway, next one is the Vesna. This is going to be the most obvious one. I would rename it the Hashik Award. Easy. Same. You want it. I believe a guy named Bill Dernan won it seven times. So that's one more than Hashik, but whatever. I don't even know when that was. <laughs> so Hashik, six Vesnas in eight years, the greatest goalie that ever lived. And hey, he'd probably show up to give it to someone, unless I guess it was a Russian goalie. Fair, fair. Uh, my next one is the Khan Smythe. This fair. is a, an interesting I, one. Who do you got? It's my, one of my favorite awards in sports because it's a playoff MVP, not just uh, which I think all sports should have playoff MVP, not just final MVP. In that case, I'm going to give it to one of the best playoff performers of all time, Patrick Waugh. Come on, look at us having the same one again. There we <laughs> go. Yeah, uh, 86, 89, 93, 96, and 01. He played in the finals, and he was instrumental every time in getting his team there. He was awesome in all those series. You could say he's the best playoff performer at all time. You could say that if you really wanted to make the argument, him over Hashik, it'd be those playoff runs. But I wouldn't make that argument. I'd say he is nothing bad about being the second best with more Stanley Cups. So, True. 
The only, the only three-time winner. Yep. No, that's another thing. That's another reason to do it. Yeah. Um, another easy one, I think. But we might actually we might have a different one on this. This the Norris. Okay. Who do you got? I have Bobby Orr. God damn it, I do too. Oh man, I thought you might have Lidstrom. I really thought about no. Lidstrom. Lidstrom was who I was also thinking of, but I feel like Bobby Orr is. I don't know. I mean, is it because I share the same last name as him? Maybe. Yes, but. I think it speaks for itself for why it, it should be him. I mean, obviously Lindstrom had an incredible career and is easily one of the best defensemen of all time. But I think that with this and a lot of my thought processes is that you want to really have like a balance across a, a variety, uh, across all eras, I think makes the most sense. And with some of my other choices, they represent the same era that Lindstrom played in. And so I felt like this one was appropriate uh, for that reason as well. Yeah, that's that's part of what I thought. Uh, you, you want to represent multiple eras in the past 50 years. Again, right. people might be thinking Bobby Orr is recent compared to some guys he is, but he's turning 75 soon. He's not a young man. Uh, and I just wanted to throw out there real quick that he at one point had uh, seasons of 120, 139, 117, 101, 122, and 135 points consecutively. Good God. Unfortunately, the end of that, he never played a full season again. After that last season, he played 36 more games. That was his what age 26 were, season. What were Very the sad. Year, what was the year breakdown for that, too? That was um, 1969-70 through 74-75. God damn. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> Definitely pretty good, yeah. In seasons where he actually played games, uh, starting with his rookie year, he went third in the Norris, Winner, 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 winner. And then Hurt never really played uh, enough games to qualify again. So that's why I put him in over Lidstrom, because that's, that's unbelievable. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. All right, look at us. What are we, four for four now? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. So the uh, the Selkie Award. I bet we're going to have the same one for this. We are probably. I I. It's it's just too too hard to make a case for anyone else. I think you got to call it the Bergeron Award. Yep, definitely. I think the part of the reason you do this is not just because he won the most. It's because he deserved to win even more probably than he did. Great point. When you think about the Bruins for the past, I would say 14 years the Bruins have been good for the most part, except when they had their borderline little mental breakdown in the middle of last decade and decided they wanted to ah, let's trade everyone who's good and not make the playoffs for a couple of years for no reason. Anyway, um, they, it's Bergeron's the only constant. Like, you you always have good goaltending? Sure. Why do you think that is? Why do you think Thomas and Rask and Halak and now Swayman and Allmark all look so good? Why do you think they're always good at goal prevention? Because he, he always plays 20 minutes a night. He's a guy that never gets hurt. He's it, It's unbelievable how long he's been there. If you think about this era, quote unquote, it's not even really an era. It's just him. Yep. If, you, if you want to call it anything, you have to call it the Bergeron era. Char is retired. He's been gone for years. They've had three GMs in this era. They had, in fact, you might count four if you want to call None of those guys drafted Bergeron, by the way, because I'm forgetting the, the GM who retired, longtime GM just before Chiarelli took over. Uh, or is it just three GMs because it's Chiarelli and Sweeney? So just those guys. But then you have like Claude Julian, you have David Cassidy, you have uh, uh, Montgomery now. And they always look like this. 
and they have talent. Granted, they've they've drafted pretty well, but God, Bergeron is uh, it's always him. He's a monster to have to play against, and he's good on the other end of the end of the ice too. But he makes yeah. it happen in the defensive zone more than anything. A real a uh, real nightmare to have to play against. So you had him as well. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, should we move on to the Calder? Let's do it. We might finally have a different one. Okay. Go ahead. Who do you got and what's your explanation? I'm going to call it the Solani. I love that. Wow. Very cool. Okay. Go ahead. Why? Because he had 76 goals when he was a rookie. <laughs> Rules. That's awesome. And I don't, this is the one I feel the least bad about changing because there's already the Calder Cup. Yeah. I mean, don't get greedy here on me, Frank. No, I I completely agree. I mean, that's a, a great point. The Solani, I am a big fan of that. I, I think that should be the move. I actually was uh, – he's fifth on the list all time of uh, most go- most points by a rookie. Um, but I was actually, again, because I feel like it's appropriate that if we're going to give Ovechkin an award, it's going to be kind of cool to give Crosby one as well so that eventually when the time comes, it could be the Sidney Crosby Award. Oh, that's a good one. I'll be honest, though. I like Solani better. So, well, hold on. I might have one for you now, too, that I just thought of. Okay. When the time comes to do the Ovechkin Award, do you change the Mark Messier Leadership Award and give it to Crosby? Interesting. <laughs> All right. Crosby just gets to be like, I think that guy's a great leader this year. I think that we should actually change the Calder to the Tyler Myers Award for tallness. See, I was hoping you were going to take Barrett Jackman. Barrett Jackman. But Let's unfortunately, go. yeah, 76 goals as a rookie. What an accomplishment. He was 21, but granted, but 76 goals, 76 goals, man. It's no joke. All right. Here's one that we're going to have in common. (laughs) I'm calling the Hart the Gretzky Award. Do you have any questions on why? I don't have any questions or objections. Yeah. I almost feel like we should on a little bit in the Ovechkin type thing, but I I hope my point came across that uh, he was unbelievable. He had like 70 more points than the next best player for like a whole decade every year. 900 more points in the decade. Fantastic. It is really beyond comprehension. Like I think the, the, the stat for me that I think is most indicative of his dominance, obviously the goal record is one thing and the total points record is, is another, but let me ask you this, Taylor, is anybody ever going to score more points than he had assists? I really don't know. Yager could have done it if he did assists. Yeah, Yager yeah. was close. Yager got to he he had he totaled uh nineteen twenty one. He shouldn't. If he didn't go to Europe for those three years or the KHL wherever he was, he would have passed uh, Gretzky in assists. I guess. Uh, no, I don't know. I'm looking at the landscape now. I would say no, unless Crosby really stays this good forever. But yeah, it's uh. So something else, we brought it up a lot this past uh, spring with how Dreisaitl and McDavid are doing in the playoffs that the actual playoff uh, goal record is 48, sorry, not goal, point record, 48 points in a singular playoffs. And the craziest part is, to me, it was only like 17 games or 18 games or something like that. It was 18 games because they went 16 and two in the playoffs. Oh my God. Ridiculous. He was too good to break to to further extend that record. But he's also so good that no one's going to touch it. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's uh he's truly something else. Hey, can I give you a little bit of trivia actually while we're talking about all-time points? Yeah. Can you name in order 
in NHL history, the top five guys who wore a Sabres jersey and where they rank, not where they rank, but like the top five scores to wear a Sabres jersey in all-time points. Um, Rowe's got to be up there, right? He is not, actually. He's number six. Wow. Okay. So now I got to recalibrate. There's that many guys ahead of Perot. Yeah. It's actually uh, it's pretty surprising, too. Hmm. And career points? Yeah. Number one is ex- is the most surprising of the bunch for sure. Where's Anderchuk? Anderchuk is number four. So you have number four. <laughs> Anderchuk is 31st all time in scoring with 1,338 points. Uh, Perot, by comparison, is 35th in scoring with 1,326. And that puts him, again, not among all-time Sabres scoring leaders, but total points, sixth among among players who wore a Sabres jersey. Well, Turgeon. Turgeon is number five. He obviously yeah, he has, has, he has one, more point than one more point than Perot and about 100 more games played. See, that's my favorite fun fact because they he 100% just replaced Perot. Perot retired in 87 and we drafted Turgeon 87 uh in 87. Mm-hmm. And one more point in his career. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty Close enough for the Sabres, but what are you gonna do? So that's two guys I have. I have four you, and five. Yep, you need one, two, and three. Where's Howard Chuck? Is he on that high? Howard Chuck is number two, as a matter of fact. He huh. is 22nd all time with 1,409 points. Wait, what about Doug Gilmore? Doug Gilmore is number one. 1,414 points for Doug Gilmore. He is the highest scoring player to ever wear a Buffalo Sabres jersey. So I need number three? Uh, Actually, you know what? I think you you, you had it. I, I We miscounted there. My fault. I apologize here. It appears actually that I had uh, miscounted, but Perot is number five. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So we're good. All right. So moving on, the last award that I want to give out uh, is the Art Ross which is not really an award, I guess. It's decided. It, it's an award you get, you earn, like the Rocket Richard. It's not decided on or voted on. Just who has the most points. And we already have a Gretzky Award as a heart. I thought you got to split this up a little bit at least and honor Mario Lemieux. I love that. Yeah, I was really torn between Mario Lemieux and Gordie Howe for this one because they're both second place behind Gretzky for uh, most wins. Oh, of the award, I should say. But yeah, Yeah. no, I like that. I think it's absolutely fair having, you know, if I know there's overlap, but if we're going to have an Ovechkin and Crosby, it almost feels appropriate to also have a Gretzky and Lemieux. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think, does Gordie Howe not have an award of some kind? I don't, I don't know. He should, honestly. Well, and that's kind of why it feels kind of crazy that if he, if he doesn't there, let's, let's double check that and see, is there a Gordie Howe award? I don't believe so. Yeah. Wow. Well, maybe we should figure something out for Gordy Howe. Or maybe think... someone whose job it is can do that. I agree. They should. He should definitely have his name on an award 100%. All right. Anyways, Taylor, any other thoughts you'd like to share before we call it a day? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo presented by Thin Man Brewery. Make sure you're checking out both of the presenters of this podcast, the Charging Buffalo and the Hockey Podcast Network on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows and make sure you're also following them on social media where you could also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Straight Up Sabres. And make sure also wherever you're listening, Please leave us a nice little review, a rating. Make sure you're subscribed or followed to us. We would very, very much appreciate it. 
Last but not least, make sure you are checking out the sponsors of this podcast. First, DraftKings. Use that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals, and more information can be found in the show notes. And last but not least, of course, Thin Man Brewery. Make sure you are stopping over to try any of the delicious food or drink that they have at Thin Man really any night of the week. I maybe will be there on Saturday regardless for the Bills game, so it's a great place to catch a game, or if you're trying to watch a Sabres game somewhere, make sure you're hitting up Thin Man Brewery. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Sabres. Sabres.